ready? Just moving and grooving? Mm-hmm. Actually, before we start, my wife asked if I didn't want to spend time with my family over the holidays because of the clip Molly put out there. When you said it's just about spending time with the holidays, I'm like, you're going to say that with a straight face. My wife's like, what? Don't you like to spend time with your family at the holidays? I'm like, yeah, taking it out of context. So I got in trouble over you. Good. I'm happy about that. Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. Your host, Roger Abel with Elias Randall. Eli, there's a lot of stuff happening in the markets today. And the markets, you know, the last month is actually done quite well. I think people are probably feeling a little better. I hope so. When they got their November statement than they were the rest of the year. It's probably about the only positive one they've had on the year. Uh, But, you know, all of this makes me think about Elias. Where we're consuming our information. So many people are just consuming their information from online sources. And and I saw an article on Facebook the other day. It's actually an advertisement from a company that does financial planning. And uh, I decided I was going to click on it because I'm always looking to see what other people are doing. That's what good business, business owners do. They see what their competition's doing and kind of match up what they're talking about. And I always click to the comments before I'll read it. Because a lot of times the comments will kind of tell you whether this is like an advertisement or this is worthwhile. And the first the first line in one of the comments was, this is the craziest thing ever. These people are planning a retirement around an inheritance. So then it really picked, piqued my interest, right? Because now I got to read it. I went in and read the article. And the article basically had a tab for retirement and what will your inheritance be? And everybody in the comments is like, wait a minute, I wish I had an inheritance. But it struck me that people are planning a financial plan around money they're going to inherit. And and I thought about that personally as to how crazy that actually is on a couple levels. Number one, it's just allowing people to make a rational choice to not save for retirement because I'm going to get an inheritance. Yeah, that's not the adult thing to do. Most inherent inheritances won't be meaningful enough for you to retire on. That's the first problem. The second problem is there's no guarantee there's going to be money left. And someone could say, well, yeah, mom and dad have $3 million. $3 million will go really fast in an extended care, nur- extended care nursing home, especially if both well, people go. It can, and how, and there's also there's typically more than one sibling. Right. Like if you're, let's say your folks have done a great job and they have three or four million dollars. Well, if there's three or four siblings, you're not going to get all of that. And I think the other thing, three or four million today is not going to be three or four millions worth in 25 years when you need to retire. And oh, by the way, I always run into this and I know someone that they're like, well, yeah, I'm going to inherit this farm and all this money. I'm like, but you'll probably be like 70. By the time it happens. Yeah. Like what good's it going to be if you're seven years old, but they're using this as a reason to not plan for their retirement. And it it struck me because Molly had come up this outline and it talks about the great wealth transfer to millennials, because we are starting to see this massive transfer of wealth from one generation to the next, you know, this generation that's done a great job, saving money, squirreling away money, going to the generation that feels like we need to have instant gratification right away. 
And, and I think that's driven by social media and a lot of other factors that we could get into. But um, baby boomers are actually set to pass more than $68 trillion to their children. And it may not be as great for these millennials as they as they believe for for multiple reasons. I don't know. Do you have anybody, Elias, that that, you know, is planning on a, on an inheritance? Uh, I mean, I, I think other than some people we work with that. You know, they might know, but I think they have a more I don't know anyone who's only planning on inheriting money um, as far as like their wealth building. I know some people that assume that they'll probably inherit some money and that's probably a good assumption to make knowing their family, but no one just planning on it. And here's the other thing I know about building wealth and doing all this. The vast majority of millionaires are first generation, right? Very few people inherit enough money to become very wealthy and most people do it by working, making an income, saving money, starting a business. So it's just, it's unrealistic in the big picture of just statistically how kind of money works and, and, and just the numbers of our industry of how many people do inherit that much money. And the other, I thought the other insightful thing from reading this, and I think it kind of coincides with our philosophy because baby boomers have done a really good job saving and we know that working in this business, but they're also spending their money and kind of they have their feelings about it is they've earned it and they want to spend it. And I don't know, I can't speak for other firms, but I know it's important for us that our clients enjoy their money and they spend it and have the lifestyle that they want. And I would imagine we're not the only financial advisors or firm telling people that like you've saved this, you should enjoy it. Let's figure out how to get you the lifestyle you want. I think that's good insight because I think about clients that I work with for the vast majority of the clients that I work with, their goal in life is not to pass as much money as humanly possible to their children. I would say the majority of people express that. Yeah. Like they want to live a retirement. They want to leave their kids something, but their goal is not to make their kids rich. It's for them to live a great retirement, how they want to retire and leave what's left. Or, you know, some people actually know how much they want to leave. And that makes it a little easier because we can plan for that. And a lot of this, I think, goes back to just the talk. Most families don't talk about this stuff. It's always been taboo to talk about money with your family. You know, how... Growing up, did you know how much money your parents made? Probably not because it was always taboo. I feel like today we're more open about money. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just my age, but like in what I do, but like my parents, I know what my parents have. My grandparents just passed away or my grandpa passed away. My, my dad didn't know what they had. My, my grandma's alive right now. No one knows what she has. She won't have the talk. And it's that's the, hard to it's do. It's the dreaded any, money talk. It's the, no one wants to talk about money, but a couple of good things can happen from it or a couple of bad things. And I'll always think back to when I started in this business and Jeff, who founded, founded our company, would always say the fastest way to break up a family reunion is to drop a $100 bill on the floor. Like that's what's going to happen if you don't talk about this with your kids and grandkids and tell them what your expectations are especially when there's different dynamics. One of the things I see a lot is families who own a farm where there might be one child who farms and two or three that don't, that becomes hard or more difficult 
to make that money transition equitable for people. And what I guess what I mean by that is if there's one child farming, they probably want to keep that farm. Yeah. And the other three still right. an inheritance, but you know, what's equal and what's equitable are two different things. And I think that's where you need to have the talk and tell the kids, this is what the plan is. This is why we're doing it this way. And just be open and honest with them. So it's not this giant surprise when there's three kids in the family and one child gets the farm and the other two split the cash and they're going, wait a minute, this isn't fair. Yeah. Even though they didn't work on that farm for the past 35 years and show up every day and do all that grunt work. So it's fair and equitable could be two different things. But if we have the talk, we can start to, I guess, divert some of those problems. And I I think that's probably a good starting point because a lot of it's really probably going to be how you approach the conversation and the things you talk about as a family. But a good starting point would just be to have a conversation around it. This is, you know, and I think if you gave your kids some insight into what's going on and, you know, potentially what they might inherit, this is what we think is fair for everyone. And I suppose if everyone had an opportunity to at least express an opinion on it, um, it may not change the ultimate outcome of that, but at least everyone would feel like they're involved and maybe they have some kind of say and they feel like they're in the know, which I feel like most families, you know, there's one, it seems like, you know, most families, they always designate one person to handle everything like the executive of their state or whatever it is. And a lot of times it's the oldest or whoever the parents think is the most responsible. And ultimately, once you're in that situation, that person gets to make a lot of decisions. Um, so it might just be worthwhile to have, to have a family conversation about it. And it's probably a good idea to do that with your advisor to kind of maybe might, maybe not be directing the conversation, but could kind of moderate that and at least hear the different sides and offer an outside voice that is not as biased in the situation. It always comes back to us being a counselor of some kind. Yeah. Which it's better than having someone in the family in the middle of, of everything. So Elias, I, th- I think this is interesting. I read an article from Vanguard it said 401k hardship withdrawals hit record high. And I started thinking about that. Why would 401k, I mean, other than the stock market being down, why would people be taking withdrawals from their 401k? And I think what this really know. is, it's inflation again. It's really a sign that inflation is hitting people and people are not willing to give up their lifestyle. They're not willing to not buy the $50,000 car. They're not willing to not take, I just got back from Disney. I don't know how people afford it. I'll be completely honest with you because the amount of money I spent once I got there was almost what I spent to get there. Every toy, every meal. I mean, you know, you think, oh yeah, we're going to go to a buffet. People aren't expecting 250 bucks for their bill. For four people. Yeah. Twenty dollar cheeseburger at the at the cheeseburger stand, the concession stand or whatever they have. I out. got out. We went to a drive in movie theater thing at Hollywood Studios where you sit like in a car and you watch a drive in movie and they serve burgers. Four of us for lunch. I got out for one hundred and twenty bucks. I thought it was a deal. I felt good about it. That's how expensive everything was. Yeah. And I don't really watch prices, but man, I, I could see how. Somebody says, hey, I'm taking my family to Disney. 
and they could go spend 20000 really quick. So do you need a hardship withdrawal now after your Disney trip? Maybe. You should probably take one. <laughs> no, I don't, but it just struck me that think about where people go. So we, we talked about last month, credit card balances are on the rise. Now Vanguard comes and publishes that 401k hardship withdrawals hit a record high. So what's happening? We maxed out our credit cards. Now we have to either pay our credit cards off or we can't pay the bills. So now we go knock out a 401k loan. Unfortunately, when did they take this 401k loan? When the market was down 20%, they compounded that loss. They'll pay it back over five years if they pay it back. Um, yeah, and th those two things, those go hand in hand. And, you know, it just, there's certain things that you're either going to do or you're not. So, and the vast majority of people, they live beyond their means. They don't save enough money don't save enough money. They use credit cards irresponsibly. So ultimately each family, you have to decide, what are you going to do? Are you going to be in the boat where you rack up your credit card bills and now you're taking a hardship withdrawal to pay off debt that you shouldn't have anyway, or can you kind of buckle down and get stuff under control? And it's not like people aren't working. There's, there's jobs and there's plenty plenty of good jobs available, but you have to be a little bit more responsible about living within your means and living on a budget. And if you have to give up some lifestyle things, then, then that's just what you do. We'll get to that point eventually. And that's going to help inflation come down when people realize, Hey, I can't afford to do this and I have to make decisions because with all the money that was injected into the economy during COVID people had a lot of extra money and they got used to living on it. And I, and I think people got used to living at home. And what I mean by that, Elias, is when we lived at home, we couldn't leave our house because of COVID, nothing was open. And let's just say you're getting $5,000 a month after tax from your paycheck. Well, you didn't have any place to spend the 5,000. Yeah, it was easy to not spend money. Easy to not spend money. Now that yeah. everything's open, what's everybody want to do? I want to go bowling. I want to go out to dinner. I want to go do this vacation. And they can't afford. They thought they could afford it. They could afford it when they didn't do anything or they bought a second house during COVID because they had all this extra money. But now that they're doing things, guess what happened? It's hard to afford. So I've in the last week and a half, I've watched or read a couple different articles on the, uh, on, on the kind of pending bubble of Airbnbs and second vacation home rentals. And I, I found this fascinating and there was actually a gal who did a YouTube video and she's like a really, really popular YouTuber. And I forget her name. I, I could pull it up and find it. But she put a video out there about how she bought a rental house in California because she thought it could, you know, she'd always cash flow it. Well, her Airbnb rentals were down like 50% because people have less money, so they probably can't vacation as much. And last month she lost $2,000 on this Airbnb. How many people, so most people that own a second home or a vacation place. A large majority are planning on renting them out because of this. Hey, I can get rich from the Airbnb and uh, whatever the other services are called. And Dave Ramsey actually had a, had a whole um, clip about this Airbnb and how it's a horrible idea because it's 25 times more work than just doing a long-term rental. Everybody destroys your stuff. But the second part is you're planning on people 
continuing to rent versus knowing people are coming in. But I want people to think about this dynamic and where this is kind of going to lead to inflation coming down and housing market. And this is all what the Fed wants to have happen. But if you bought an Airbnb, Elias, condo, wherever, Davenport, I don't care where it is, and your cost every month is a thousand bucks to keep this place and you're renting it for a hundred dollars a night and you have to rent out 10 nights to break even, but you only rent five. What happens? You're not even. You're not even. Most people can't afford to not have the rental income. So you run a deficit. How long can somebody run a deficit paying the bills, the utilities, the internet, the expenses, the payment on it? Cause they're not paying cash. Very few people are paying cash for it because if they're paying cash, they don't have to rent it. What's the first thing you're going to do when it starts to be a negative run on this for five months in a row? You're going to sell it. You're going to sell it. And what's going to happen to the price? You're going to sell it the highest or something less than that? Yeah, prices are already coming down, but so at this time you're not selling it for what you could a year, two years ago. Well, and here's the other thing. Are you selling it because you want to sell it or because you need to sell it? You probably need to. The last two years, everybody's been selling properties for the most part because they want to sell them. We're going to get to the point where people are selling properties because they need to sell them. And that's where we're really going to start to see some prices and inflation coming down. But Elias, this all comes back to this article. How many people took a 401k loan for the down payment on the Airbnb property? I, I hope not many. I'll bet you more people than you think took loans to do that. Because where are you going to get Terrible the money from? Idea. It's either at home equity and a credit or your 401k, if you have it. That's what people did to buy these second properties. What's happened to your home equity line of credit? It's went from a three and a half percentage straight to eight. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. The, it's just a culmination of why we're seeing people deplete their savings, raid their 401k. And, you know, raiding the 401k in general is just a terrible idea because you're killing your compound growth. There's, I had a client one time, and this is really the only rational way. I can even tell him it was a decent idea. His goal of his 401k was he is in a high tax bracket. He's a physician. So he wanted to save up a bunch of money when he was young, but he wanted to buy a farm. And he borrowed money from his 401k to go buy the farm. That's a little bit different than taking money out to go buy a discretionary item because what he really did was exchange one investment for another investment because it generates dividends, income, capital gains. He ended up actually selling that farm and doing very, very well in the sale of it. But that's about the only rational way I could tell somebody that, hey, using your 401k funds before retirement is even reasonable. Yeah, well, and that that's a totally different, that's a totally different situation. That's not what the majority of people are doing. That I mean, that's really, one, he's making a higher income. Two, he found an opportunity. Like you said, he swapped one investment for another so that money's still working for him. That's totally different than raiding your 401k to pay off your credit card debt or to buy to buy like one investment property that y you want to have, but maybe you're equipped to manage it. Maybe you're not. That's a to me that's a totally different deal. One of the things too, I think that with with interest rates rising, there's there's becoming some opportunity for people. And you kind of mentioned uh, piece you read earlier today, but dividends could start to become a bigger 
part of somebody's portfolio. For a long time, we've had low dividends. There's been no, no yield on bonds. So all of somebody's retirement income for the most part has had to been made up of growth. But we're seeing a little shift and maybe a little opportunity. I'll let you talk about the article that you found. I think it was from Capital Group. Yes. Yeah, it was an, an article from Capital Group and just one of the sections. And I thought this was really insightful. And I think we've been kind of positioning the same way. But so with rates rising and the economy slowing, um, there's opportunities to invest in solid dividend players. And here's here's one of the funny things about this. So talk about how dividends became boring, right? Because it was, wasn't a big part of people's total return. And when you have low interest rates, lower interest rates was really driving how you could value tech companies and certainly tech companies that aren't making any money at some sort of multiple that's 40 times their earnings or just something crazy like that. But today, dividends were thought to be boring, but boring is turning into beautiful. So today, boring is beautiful. And as dividends historically come back to being a greater part of total return for total return for people, I think it's just going to change the way they think about investing. So what did everyone want to buy in 2021? Everyone wanted the best growth stock and all their money into technology companies because that's what was going up the most, where maybe there's an argument to be made for just buying companies that have been around for a long time, have a history of paying their dividend, never missing their dividend payment, and if you can find a fund that does it, maybe a history of continually making the dividend bigger than it used to be, raising their dividend every year. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how that plays out over the next decade. And if interest rates go where the speculation is and that's where they're going to be, um, I, I think I can get with that argument. And I think there's data to support owning companies like that's going to be more important the next 10 years than it was the last 10 years. Hey, Elias, I, th I think that's good insight. And, you know, five years ago, we used to talk about dividends, but the, the market ran up so much that people felt like they were missing out. And di like you said, dividends were boring. And I do think it'll come back. And I think it's meaningful for income type investors to have higher dividends, higher yields. I remember a year and a half ago, it was all how the 60-40 portfolio is dead. The 60% stock, 40% bond portfolio is dead. And that really revolved around there's no income on bonds. Well, now you got the two-year treasury at 4% on a two-year treasury. You actually could build somebody a portfolio. So let's say somebody has a personal rate of return goal of 7%. Well, arguably a two-year treasury pays four. You can get 4% of the 3%, 4% of the total seven is income in your pocket. You probably don't have to take a whole lot of risk to get a, to get to a total return of seven or eight percent when we have assets that are paying three, four, and five percent just in their yield, which I think is really good for people entering retirement and getting close to, you know, their retirement date. I, I agree with that. It'll also make financial planning easier, right? Because like for the last ten years, people kind of had to take more risk than what they wanted to to earn the returns that they thought they should be earning. They, they definitely had to stretch their risk from a yield standpoint. So, yeah. you know, for someone to go get a 5% yield on something three years ago, they're buying high yield bonds or buying MLP funds. They're buying riskier assets 
to get those dividends. Today, you get a two-year treasury pays 4%. Yeah, and the, we we haven't seen this, so I'm not saying it's available. But when we talk, I've been talking about this concept with clients and older investors. And a good question I've been getting good feedback from is, if I could sell you a CD today that paid five or six percent interest, how much of your money would you want to put in it? And a lot of senior conservative investors, they just say, well, probably all of it, yeah, because they don't want the risk of principal. It's not realistic to do that. But it just shows what people, you know, that's what people are looking for. Yeah. And what happens there is they bring other risks in. They start bringing in, you know, interest rate risk, duration Correct. risk. I mean, you know, yeah, it looks great on paper to go get a five year, five percent CD for three years. It's not going to look great if inflation goes to 14 percent and your CD would pay you. 12. Yeah. Even if inflation stays where it is, so, it's not going to be great. It, yeah. So it's just still we're a proponent of shorter duration stuff and, you know, um, take advantage of the good interest rates if you can find one, but make sure it's within the period of time you need it. Make sure you have plenty of liquid cash. Uh, if anybody wants any help with their financial planning, you can get us at btwellshow.com. With that said, appreciate everybody listening and hope to catch you next time. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.